From racing.com and top sport, this is a good three with Dr. Turf, Matt Welsh and Paul Tatnall. Hello and welcome to another edition of a good three, but Turfy. It's a good two. We've, well, the firm two. We've lost Paul this week. Yes, it's a win-win. <laughs> Win-win, but we're proud of our old mate Paul. Yes, he uh, he is going. Uh, he's going is, to Sydney. Going to Sydney. I, I won't. I'll, I'll take over here because I know that it's the Kennedy Awards. You wouldn't have a clue. I'm assuming them sort of some sort of journalism awards. They are now. He's been nominated for Racing Writer of the Year. There's three in it: Adam Pangeli and uh, Damien Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe. Framing a market. Uh, I would say it's uh, two's each of three. Who's that? I think Damo and Paul. That's a hundred percent market, which we don't hear of anymore. Yeah. so that's probably Look, unlikely. I, 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 best of luck to our mate. Best Paul. of best of luck. He'll yeah. celebrate hard if he well, gets that over the line. If he wins, we won't see him for a fortnight because his acceptance speech will go for ten or twelve days. Well, yes, it will. It'll take a while. It will have a lot of people to thank. Uh, hopefully, we're on the list. Unlikely. <laughs> now I, I'm a bit loath to introduce our new guest. Our guest today. Yes, why I, I'm upset. Well, I'm. Ah, oh, because, because she risled you. She did. She did. She took my spot on uh, Contenders, did an outstanding job with you guys uh, last night. Would that night. be called a bloodless coup? I, I noticed I was gone and... Um, you noticed you were gone. We noticed you were gone as well. Completely forgotten <laughs> by you guys. Did not did not bat yeah, an eyelid at my departure. All of a sudden you were Matt who? Correct. Anyway, I speak, of course, of Grace Ramage. Now, she wears a lot of hats, including... An opposition podcast. So we're giving a platform to an opposition podcast here. Grace really? is... You'll have Joe Rogan on next. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial from you, Turby. But Grace, welcome to the show and uh, tell us a little bit about Ladies Who Punt, which is a podcast that you developed, I think, uh, some six or so months ago. Yes. Hello to you, Matt, and hello to you as well, Turf, and everybody listening in. So just firstly, Turf, um, when Matt said about joining the contenders team and taking his place he also said to me well you know you'll have a really good time because it is my favorite hour of television and it's a lot of fun and it's the one thing i look forward to every week so yeah, you'll enjoy it so um that's the way that i've just sort of positioned myself <laughs> in there taking away yeah. his pride and joy but that's fine i'm there now let's talk a bit about ladies who punt so yes matt rival podcast well it's a little bit different i suppose because the, the main purpose of Ladies Who Punt, and it's between myself and Fiona Blair, who is my co-host, the reason that we created this idea for a podcast is to be able to explain and educate people with parts of the racing industry that are really confusing. Like when you're watching a racing broadcast or listening to commentary or reading a form guide, there's so many bits in there that people have just got absolutely no idea about. And that's all well and good. You can still try and you know, form your own opinion based on what you are picking up and leaving the bits you don't understand. But if people can gain a better understanding and um, really get to the bottom of what we're trying to tell them or what the form guide's trying to tell them, we feel that people will be able to enjoy racing better and then that is what we're trying to inspire people to get more out of the sport that we love a lot. So that's sort of our endeavour on Ladies Who Punt. I'd love Grace to have interviewed my dear old mum, which would be difficult because she'd been dead three years, but she punted up until she died at 94 and was punting up until two weeks before she passed away. So uh, she was a complete desperate... Going back to the start of your journey in racing, how did you become so involved in in the racing industry? I know you had a a massive love 
of Sunline back uh, when you're a little bit younger, but how did you come to actually work in the racing industry? Well, you're right. Sunline was sort of the horse that um, got me absolutely hooked. Like at the time I was eight years old and lots of people had posters of Hanson or Spice Girls in their bedroom and I just had posters of Sunline. Um, but Hanson. I've always been <laughs> Did you say Hanson? <laughs> the twins, sure, were they twins? There was four the boys, of them, wasn't there? They're all the boys. Oh, they're three, they're little, three brothers. Well, I know you're a big boy band fan, but uh, I, that am, sort of, yes. I sort of bypassed that era. But go on. You know the Spice Girls? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I grew up in a racing family. Like it was always been our sport. It's always been our passion. Raced horses um, from an ownership perspective. So always was at the races. Um, so then, yep, Sunline sort of got me hooked, followed it in terms of, you know, highlight horses, horses that I loved, that sort of thing. That went on for a good while, basically my whole life. But to answer your question about how I got into the racing industry, I feel like going back seven years ago, it's probably, um, you know, in within the last seven years, it's been easier to get a start in the racing industry. There are so many things on offer now, like thoroughbred industry careers and, you know, pathways of people, even the Godolphin Flying Start, that's all become sort of more popular in the last few years where people can say, hey, I love racing and I love horses. Um, you know, this might be something I can do as a job and then contact these groups who will help them get into the industry. When I got my job in the media at racing.com, it certainly wasn't anything um, as, I suppose, thoughtful as that. It was more just that I met Jason Richardson at an event, told him how much of a get-on fan I was, and he was basically saying that racing.com was starting a new TV channel and if I was interested, there might be a job going and that's how it happened. So it was a little bit spontaneous in that sense. And, but, and at know, that time, like nowadays, at that time you're a budding bookkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was sort of one of those. You're not telling um, us that you were in the accountancy world before you got into the horse racing world, are you, Grace? Yeah. I don't buy that for a second. That's crazy. Probably I I wouldn't use the word budding. I would probably say that it was the one thing that presented itself to me after university. So I was like, sure, I can be an accountant. Why not? And then quickly realised that I could not be an accountant at Ernst & Young, one of the top all financial services firms. So I was pretty pleased to get the job at racing.com and said, see you later, accounting, not for me. And from there, I was able to learn how to be in the media, I suppose, and um, lots of the journalism elements and also the broadcast stuff as well. You touched on the fact that you've, you've been a racehorse owner for quite a while. Talk, talk me through what sort of owner you are. Do you get nervous watching your horses, Grace? How do you behave when uh, a race is unfolding and there's a horse running that you've got to mm-hmm. share in? Really hard to work out. I feel like I'm not nervous beforehand, but then in the run, um, yeah, in, oh, I mean, I've had a lot of slow horses, Matt, so I suppose it's hard to get enthusiastic. If I had a Cox Plate runner, I'd probably be nervous for about eight months. But um, in the run, you know, you always want to see them run well, and if then if if they don't run well, I suppose now the way that I've set myself up in terms of what I do for a job, I know that there's another race in two weeks' time and we'll roll the dice again and see how we go. So there's always there's always something to look forward to. I don't get too beat up and down in the dumps. So the one thing about owning horses I found, and having a, you know, I had a stack of them, had bad ones, good ones, 
I've had a horse that has won a, a class one at Seymour and then a couple of years later won at Flemington Cup Week. And the thrill and the excitement is identical. It doesn't matter whether it's at Seymour on a Thursday or Flemington yeah. on Oaks Day. It's the same feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that is, no, that's true. I mean, I'm talking about when my horses don't perform well. If they win, um, I remember the first horse that I owned in my own right was a 5% share in a staying filly with Mick Price that was Waikato bred. And she won a benchmark 58 at Bansdale and it was literally the best thing ever. Um, she'd even progressed through maiden stage, hadn't broken her maiden, but got to a 58 and won. And I was like, this is it. This is the pinnacle. And... <laughs> You're right. It doesn't matter where you win a race. It, you're just on such a high and it's just so much fun. I know we spoke to Aussie Care, but, you know, they, Aussie Care and John O'Neill and Brace I mean, to have multiple Group 1 wins in the same season, I, I wonder if they can still sort of get the same... Does it lose its luster? It, 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 we're talking about the same year they win Group 1 races. Surely it must sort of uh, wear off a little bit. Yeah, I don't it know. It didn't seem to when we They're spoke to I mean, it's a bit like winning a premiership, Turfy. We oh. won one last year. I'd happily win another one. Uh, anyway, moving along. Grace, you're now working with Lindsay Park up there. But talk us through the role you conduct on a day-to-day basis for the uh, for Ben and JD Hayes. Yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I'm living up here in Euroa now, so there's lots of different things that I do, I suppose. I'm still doing a whole lot of form. So my, my number one role every day is to um, do our – that do the form analysis for our upcoming races once we've accepted taking a look at the fields to make sure that, you know, we're a top three, top four chance. And if we think that the horse can win, make sure that it can win and that the competition isn't too strong and that the, the speed map suits us. So that sort of stuff. Um, I do a lot of post-race form analysis as well to really get, get a good profile on what our horses have been doing and what might suit them best in the future. Um, tactics I'm doing a lot of as well every day. That's a daily job, actually. I have to do that today. I have not done that yet. Thanks for reminding me. Um, but there's lots of other things that I'm doing, owner communications, plenty of updates, videos, that sort of stuff. Um, heavily involved in the selling down of yearlings that we purchased during the yearling sales season. So that was a whole lot of fun, um, you know, going to each of the sales. I've never done anything like that before, and but I really enjoyed it, actually. It was a big challenge and it was a lot of fun. So it's it's sort of one of those things I've got my daily tasks form analysis based, but, um, you know, if there's, if there's another project that's in the pipeline, I can certainly turn my attention there as well. It's uh, It's a really good... Um, fit for me because I love to be able to challenge myself and try and explore new things and, and new ideas. So I get that flexibility. And then also, you know, once my Lindsay Park work's done for the day, I can then focus on the media stuff that I've still got going, the podcast, which we've already touched on, and also um, a little bit of work for Sportsbet and for the VRC and things. So I'm always sort of moving on to the next thing and keeping myself feeling fresh, which is great. Unlike you, Turf, uh, Grace wouldn't have time for six rounds of golf a week, but you mentioned you, you're doing some <laughs> race tactics. Now, have you ever given a jockey a spray when they've come back to the yard? Maybe they haven't adhered to the tactics that you've put in place pro-race? Me? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even imagine doing that. I'll just leave that to Ben or to JD. I'll just sit in the background and like silently curse. No, it's, um, I don't know, when you're sort of, sometimes things can go wrong, completely pear-shaped, but, you know, there's always a reason for why the jockeys are doing what they're doing. It's rarely because they've just had a complete brain fade. You know, the, the thing about 
the thing about tactics and everything, like, and you'd know, Matt and Turf, when you're doing a speed map, there are still so many variables. Like you're literally relying on, you're trying to predict the brains of every other jockey in the race. Like you're trying to work out what other jockeys are going to do and how that's going to affect you and your jockey and your horse. There's so much that can just go wrong from how you've, thought it, the race is going to unfold. So you've always got to keep that in mind and know that the jockey is going to be trying to do their best. You mentioned that uh, one of the things you do as part of your, your day-to-day, day-to-day rituals was preparing horses' campaigns, plotting horses' campaigns. So I'm interested to know that when you had a horse like Mr Brightside, the glamour horse of the stable, if you like, but he did come through benchmark races. So when did it dawn on you in the stable not really thinking about benchmark uh, 80s, uh, benchmark 100s with this horse. We may have to think a little bit, uh, plot a campaign that maybe sort of eventuate in Seymour Cups, listed races, and then Group 1 races. When did it dawn on the stable that um, this was not a benchmark horse? Well, it's a good one because it was a big success. So I'm happy to talk about this one. And I must say, it's myself, Don Road, our racing manager, and Ben and JD. We work in the racing team. We sort of sit in the hut every morning and discuss all these things and, you know, work out plans. It's all about tinkering with the current plan, you know, swerving if you need to make a change of plan along the way. So it's a lot, a lot of little decisions a lot of the time. But with Mr. Brightside, so we, the, the team always knew that he had lots of ability um, and we took him to that maiden, he got beaten and then he won his second start. And it was, I suppose, when I'm looking back at his um, post-race analysis, so I look at sectional data and I'm seeing that he's got a freakish turn of foot off slow tempos. He's got that real speed asset late um, in his races. So I'm like, okay, this also got ability. The boys knew that he had ability. We knew that he would definitely measure up um, to stakes class just on what he was doing on the clock and how he was working at home and just his general temperament and the feel the boys got from him. But it was our deliberate decision to milk every single benchmark grade along the way. We, <laughs> well, you we did knew, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We knew that he was going to get – well, the, the grand goal was let's get him to the Cantala on the minimum, but we wanted to take him to a benchmark 78, then to the next step, then to the next step, and then – through the benchmark grades, we found the Seymour Cup, which was at Ballarat at listed class, and thought if he gets this, he then springboards his rating just to the minimum of the Cantala. So we win that race. And, you know, it's easy to do with a horse that keeps winning. Um, obviously, the horse needs to be able to keep winning for the plan to go into place, and he's just a very good horse. He was able to do that. But it was a real satisfaction that we planned to win every step of the way, all the prize money, not just take a giant leap, get him into his target race. And I tell you what, if he had won that Cantala, like it would have been one of the most rewarding things, like a fairy tale sort of a story. And he was only 0.6 of a length off. He finished fourth um, in that race. It was a, a really good finish. So um, that was a great campaign. We were really proud of our efforts with that horse and hopefully he can keep going on with it now. Man, it just goes to show you, doesn't it? And we've talked about this in the past. Training horses isn't just about getting them fit and maintaining a preparation, is it? That sort of no. planning a campaign to get them into a group one race on the limit, in form, a lot of trainers, the placement of some stables you scratch your head, and this is a great example of doing it right. It's also a big risk because if you lose one of those races along the way, then your rating's not going to get up to the yep. level it needs to to get into a race necessarily. Sure. You've been connected to the stable for a few years now, and, and there was a dramatic transition, obviously, when the Patriarch went, when David up and went to Hong Kong with Prue. Leaving the boys there, um, 
obviously the the eyes of the racing world, particularly here in Victoria, were going to be on the boys. That was combined with some long-time stable clients taking horses away from the stable. A, a dramatic, in my opinion, dramatic overreaction to David leaving. <sighs> what did you guys do? Just sit around a table and say, okay, we're going to have to deal with this. This is the cards we've been dealt. David's gone. Some stable clients have abandoned us. David, I'm assuming, took some promising young horses with him to Hong Kong. Um, was there a you know a war council? Did you sit around a table and, and, and try and plot a course that's led you to the position where you're in today? Where you it's been a fantastic, particularly the last twelve months, it's just been fantastic for you. Yeah, it has been um, good. Like we're feeling really good now, but there were definitely some times there that were quite stressful. Firstly, it wasn't necessarily David and Prue heading to Hong Kong. It was more when Tom Dabbenig left to go to Warrnambool. That's when JD had to step into the fold um, and Tom left. And that was probably when the limelight was most on the new generation of Lindsay Park. Is it actually going to be able to stand up or are they going to pretty much sink or swim? And a few common misconceptions, like we didn't have that many Um, big owners leave we had one big owner um, which is a Hong Kong owner actually take his horses off us one of those being finance tycoon that was probably that was probably the one the big one Um, a lot of our other big owners um, of course they were watching and they wanted to make sure that the horses were in safe hands for the future but a lot of them actually stuck by us within that first season because they weren't just going to pull the pin without giving us a go and as you've already mentioned you know we've proved that we certainly can do it that Ben and JD are more than capable of training horses and winning races. So the fact that they have stuck by the Lindsay Park, the new Lindsay Park team, um, you know, they, they haven't gone anywhere either now, which is great. But I suppose there definitely were stressful times. We had a lot of um, change in terms of our staffing as well. Um, you know, a lot of people just thinking, well, this is a bit of a, a change. So am I going to stick around or am I going to go try to do something new? So there was lots of change. Um, all at the one time. But it's one of those things where, you know, you can either get really stressed by the big picture and think, oh, my God, all these things are happening and what does this mean? Or you can just work literally on the basics every minute of every day and just do the job that you've got to do and just bide your time. And that's pretty much what we did. Now, at the moment, it's Ben and JD Hayes in the race book. When's it going to be G Ramage? Ben and JD Hayes as the listed trainers. I really don't think um, that they need another trainer, especially then when there's one W Hayes who's currently on the list at Carlton. Um, but at one stage, I'm sure he'll be coming back straight back to Lindsay Park and wanting to, um, you know, have his place in the industry in the business as well, because he actually before he got drafted with Carlton, was uh, our foreman at Flemington. So he will definitely be coming back at one stage as well. Who knows when it will be. But to answer your question, Matt, I'm just going to let the trainee, the trainers do the training. I don't need to even worry about it. I will just stick to my area, which is form and owner stuff and many other things. <laughs> just one more for you, Grace. You mentioned uh, staffing before and it's – one of the stories I think about racing that doesn't get a, a lot of exposure and that is staffing difficulties and, and it may be the biggest problem facing racing here in Victoria and your stable geographically is difficult because you're not near a major town, you're well over an hour away from it. It's not like you're Bendigo Ballarat as a provincial stable or country stable. You are, you know, Seymour I guess is your nearest town. What sort of problems 
have you faced in the past and are you facing in the future with staffing levels and how, how relevant is it? Well, it's a huge issue. Like staffing is a nightmare. All you have to do is look at social media and see how many stables are looking to hire new staff at the moment. It's a little bit scary. Um, I, I think... You know, obviously, if you want to work at Lindsay Park, we've got accommodation here for staff that want to come up here for six months, let's say. We've got um, lots of accommodation here on the farm. We've also got accommodation in town. So we're quite flexible in allowing staff just to come for a short period and then they can move on if they want to or um, or they can stay and, you know, buy their own place if this is where they want to make their home, which a lot of our staff have done. A lot of our staff are long-term loyal staff because now this is their home. And I suppose the difference is when you're talking about Flemington or now Cranbourne or Pakenham, it's so easy, especially in the in this climate, for a rider, let's say, to be a little bit disgruntled or fed up or had, had an argument with a staff member at the stable they're currently at, they can go next door, literally next door, and say, hey, if you pay me $10 more, I'll come work for you. It's actually higher staff rotation, I would say, in those metropolitan areas than it is out here because it's more accessible for them to chop and change. So it sort of works both ways. On the whole, though, everybody would love more staff, so that it, it is a big issue. And, and being able to control your hours on the farm, do you guys start at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning or do you start a little bit later? We start a little bit later, which has been a relatively new thing, especially in winter. Um, we've got one of our five tracks here at Lindsay Park Yaroa has got is lit up, but even still, um, you know, just for staff, just for everybody's emotional well-being, we've basically got a starting time of around six a.m., which is a lot more palatable than the four a.m.s at the metropolitan training track. So um, it's a lot better in that sense. I mean, track work does go through to mid-morning, which I understand at, you know, Flemington Spring Carnival, you have to be off the track by nine because they need to start building the infrastructure for for the Melbourne Cup Carnival and all that stuff. We don't have that problem. So we can just go until it finishes, basically. So we're very lucky in that sense as well. Grace, just before we let you go, aside from Mr. Brightside, one horse we should follow from Lindsay Park yeah, for the spring. You're always trying to cop a tip, I'm aren't you? You're to just find trying the listeners to, it's about a you. winner. It's about the listeners, Turfy. Give back to your mm. listeners. Grace. Yeah, and also he's buried it right at the back of this podcast as well. So I'm not as worried about. It'll be a promo. More. Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, the one horse that we'd have to talk about is Lady of Honor. So she's currently $5.50 in a benchmark 78 at Caulfield this Saturday, race four it is, over 1,200 metres. And if you just look at what she did last prep, which was last spring, she won three races in a row and she she was going well. But the, the thing that you don't see is that she actually went up to the Gold Coast. She was absolutely airborne up there. She beat Snap Dancer in a trial by lengths. She actually just injured herself and she couldn't take her place in that Magic Millions race. She's done all her rehab. She's grown. She's furnished. Um, she's going really well. So I'm not sure what level she'll measure up to, but we think that she goes quite nicely. Hopefully she's running a very good race on Saturday and we can look at some nice mares races for her. She also jumped out very well, Turfy. I bet you knew that. Yes. Yeah, all right. He knew that. Yeah. It's probably yeah. on, a trial, on the trial show. Uh, no, no, we kept that one. We, we, no, we didn't get to the Flemington jump outs, but uh, Lady of Honour. So that's Caulfield on Saturday. Grace, it's been outstanding having a chat to you. Best of luck for a, a huge spring carnival ahead. And all our listeners, they can tune into Ladies Who Punt as well and probably get a bit more common yes. sense, Turfy. Perhaps. 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun and we'll catch you on Contenders. Not you, Matt, but everyone else next Wednesday. I'll be watching from the living room. She shafted him. Having a bet on sport this week? Top this. Whether you're into cricket and curling or golf and greyhounds, Top Sport will let you on for plenty. And with literally hundreds of markets from your own backyard to the international stage, Top Sport has you well covered. So if you want to get the top odds every time, bet with Top Sport. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. An early look. Well, Turfy, black shorts on this Saturday. Mm. I know you like taking the dogs out for a walk at Caulfield. Yes, I do, and the dogs love it, particularly the 900-metre mark. Yes, we've heard that story. You had a, a bin installed for the, <laughs> your dog's faeces. Oh, yes, that, that is exactly right. Yeah, all right, let's get into the uh, the card on Saturday. We're highlighted by the PB Lawrence Stakes. Give us a little bit of background. The, the Pongo. Pongo. Uh, Pongo, well, he's the former chairman of the Melbourne Racing Club of... As I grew up, it was the VATC, the Victorian Amateur Turf Club, or as Jack Elliott on World of Sport used to call it, the Very Amateur Turf Club, <laughs> VATC, uh, my local course, and I've been going there since I was a kid, and uh, Peter was um, one of the most popular chairmen there, and some great horses have won the PB Lawrence, the best? which, which the used best? to be known as the JJ Liston. You've heard yep. of the JJ yep. Liston Trophy for the VFA, and... Uh, the best, well, uh, there's a great honour roll of, of winners. Uh, we, sh- of we, sh- we should have uh, rehearsed that one. Most of whose names are, are forgotten. But uh, some Hubie really got you? Hubie won it, yeah. He, 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 he certainly star. won it. And, and Let's move it, on it'll to this come to me. It'll edition. come to me. That's all right. You've got me on the hop there. No, no, apologies. I shouldn't do that to you. Let's get into this year's edition. It's probably not the strongest edition, but we've got a Doncaster winner as favourite in Mr Brightside. Look, I think it's actually a better race. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Streets of Avalon was favoured in this race last year, and it's probably a stronger edition this year in that you've, you've at least got a couple of Group 1 winners in the race, you know, with Regal Power and, um, well, Streets of Avalon, of course, a Group 1 winner. Uh, so it's not too bad a race, and, you know, I think... It's an important race for a horse like Mr Brightside who, you know, I know it's the start of his campaign which may end up in races like Cox Plates or Caulfield Cups or whatever, but if he continues the same upward spiral in his ratings and so forth, I mean, he's a Group 1 winner now, uh, can he take the next step as a wait for age galloper? I really hope he, he does. Uh, I think the boys have done a great job training him in the way they've sort of developed and tipped him out at the right time, brought him back in the same form up, Upward spiral sort of continued. Cullman, of course, in the Doncaster win. I know he had no weight there, but he won easily. He, did. he won easily. Um, it was such a tough, good win. And I really hope he makes it as a weight for age horse, and I wouldn't really be tipping against him. Uh, there are other chances, obviously, and he's first up, but I hope he wins. Tobin Bronze won it. Mahogany won it as well. Mahogany, that was the horse I was trying to remember, one of the absolute greats. It was also a bit of a, um, a kickoff race. I know a lot of them went around on the Ori Star first up, but a lot of horses on cup campaigns used to resume in the JJ list. And when it was run at Sandown, Matt, yep. it was a more famously run. I think maybe they actually rented it to um, Fleming one year, but I'm sure, I, I know it was a Sandown race. Yeah, absolutely. In the days when Sandown was a, a Saturday race track as opposed to just a fill-in track these days. It does a lot of work. It's a workhorse track for the industry. It's going to have a, a lot of feature racing next autumn, including the Blue Diamond Turfy. And then uh, they'll sell it. And, yep, go on. We could be on that topic forever, so let's keep <laughs> on to the races. But uh, he's been beautifully placed, Mr Brightside. Yep. They, they've 
brought him through his first Australian preparation Seymour through Cup, the grades, yeah. ending up in that uh, Bet With Mates Cup, the Seymour Cup that yep. was held at Ballarat that year. Yep. That turned out to be a really hot form yes, race as did. well. And last campaign, he, you know, his only win was the Doncaster. Yeah, but it but was, but... He was unlucky first up in the Elms. He was. The he All-Star won. Mile slowly run, missed the kick, which is unlike him. Ran really well. That was Zaki's race too. So, uh, you know, you know, he's a serious racehorse, this He's guy. the horse to beat for oh, sure. No uh, doubt. The and he maps pretty well in the race as well, you know. He I mean, does, there's, yep. there looks to be good tempo in the race with um, Buffalo River only, only knowing the one tempo. And I'm assuming Acer, surely got to hold him up, Acer, because uh, being up there on pace isn't suiting him. But, uh, you know. I think he needs to be cut, but that's another story. Well, he's not going to be because no, he's, he's owned by uh, a stud farm, yeah, and I think he's Parker, about to head off to, to breed. Um, it would be interesting to see the ads for that. But um, let's – well, the other horse that – he's not the well. Ads for it. Well, well, why, why are you looking forward to seeing the ads? What, what, how are they going to sell him? I, I, I say – this is a general statement. The ads for stallions are some of the most misleading ads in the history of c- commercials. <laughs> Well, he I is reckon. a beautiful mover. He, oh, great. I remember TB yeah. once um, once commenting man. on his work up at Wodonga between races. Anyway, that's a story for another day. I, He's Uncle, a nice walker. Uncle Bryn's hopelessly placed here in the, the well, PB. Ratings-wise, we talked about him on The Contenders. Do you remember a show called The Contenders? Yeah, I've been booted. Grace <laughs> took over. He we got, just spoke to Grace. I think the expression is you've been risold. Yeah. Now, Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, his rating is... He could go around in the last race, fourteen hundred benchmark eighty four, and not be a favourite. Oh, he'd, he'd, he'd just about be immoral there. You reckon his yeah, trials were outstanding, and I, I'm having—I I just have to have something small on him. Even Do you? Though Are you in, um, he's horribly placed, but Ben Ben had something on him as well. Yeah, a smart man, Ben. Uh, anyway, always yeah, like it's, it's a it's a bizarre placement, um, and it certainly creates interest in the race. Well, they must be trying to get into. Maybe they're trying to aim at a, a Group One. Yeah, a it, Turok he's got to get his rating up. Something he's like that. He's a rating eighty-eight horse, I think. Yep. Uh, in, in a weight for Group Two, weight for age. Race. You won't see many better jump outs. Hey, let's go on to the uh, the vein stakes. We've got these two great three-year-old features that that pipe openers to the spring Just carnival. Let me do you a service, and okay. hopefully some of our younger listeners. And this is I mentioned this on the contenders the other night. But you've got to be careful in these three-year-old races, these early three-year-old races, these because they're full of horses that we've known as two-year-olds and most of them were up and ready as two-year-olds. They, you know, the stables always get those early two-year-olds you know, to get, get them going. Many of them never come back as three-year-olds. A- and you've just got to be careful until the form solidifies and proves itself from their two-year-old days. I mean, we poo-pooed most of the two-year-old races all of the autumn, did we not? Yep. And now we're going to talk about them as being the, the main chances in these races, the Quisette and the Vane. So just well, as I'll, a general statement, Matt. I'll be going do, for a different form. Yeah, well, I have as well. But I'm just – good. Good on you, son. But I'm just saying this is what we need to be – we need to treat these races with – Caution until we learn about them, until we learn that that form was real, what we saw as two-year-olds. No doubt about that. Alpha 1, he's got to be a query at 1,100. Dominant at the Valley last time out over and the 955. wasn't he? He was smashed at the smashed. Valley. But it was an inferior field and he may, I'm sure he'll lead, but there's plenty of, plenty of pace here. You'd think Cannonball goes forward. Semi- You've got Simeon up there on speed. Giga Kick won't want to be too far away. He's a horse who maps the best, if you ask me. He does. So what are you doing? Uh, I'm having something on Giga Kick and in a very small way. 
Um, I'm interested in how horses like uh, Spacewalk go. Um, Thronbone's interesting. I, you know, yeah, that's inferior winter form. But what he is is rock-hard fit. And if there is any rain on the day, that certainly helps him. So You've uh, been uh, looking at my notes. Why would I bother? I haven't looked at your notes. I'm looking at my own, you know, work that I've prepared for this particular race. What about Mullane? What did you? What did? It was interesting listening to Peter Moody talk about his heavy track jump out not getting through it. I thought it was a moderate bit of work, but that sort of explains it. I'm not convinced on him as no, yet. I, I, I'm spacewalk and Giga Kick. Yeah. Giga Kick was outstanding at Flemington, outstanding at Sale. I've got a big opinion of him. And Spacewalk. Oh, and you've been spruiking. Whiz, this horse trialled up so well in Sydney. He trialled against the older horses in Malkovich and, and Snap Dancer, and he absolutely belted Alpha One yeah. one day going back and, and a few starts. And the thing about Spacewalk, and there's, plenty, there's a couple of fillies from Sydney as well in the Quisette, is that all that Sydney form is on heavy nines and tens. So there's a little... It'll be interesting to see how they come back. There's a little bit of a doubt about the validity of that form as well. Let's get I, I know you love Giga Kick. You get all, a little bit sort of sweaty and emotional when you talk about Giga Kick, don't you? Oh, he's a good horse. Yeah, but I think he means something to you. No, I backed him backed him twice. So that's probably what he means to me. <laughs> uh, let's get on to the Quisette. 1,100 metres, Phillies. Mm. Ebar's favourite. Gee, I can see her pulling herself into the ground here. Can you? Well, you know, she... Won brilliantly on Daboo, and I don't think she beat a great deal. Have you had a look deal. at the form out of that race? Yes, I have. I, I didn't hear what I just said. I said I don't think she beat a great deal. She's been blistering in those two Sydney trials. I'm not tipping her. I, I can't see why she's favourite as we speak. I, I thought she'd been a lot better odds, but maybe she's had issues. <laughs> Little birdie told me that she'd had issues, yes, and maybe those is, issues it, had been I'll Tell you what, up. that birdie gets outstanding Snowden mail as well. Does he? Look, we, we did... Poo-poo the Melbourne Phillies form, did we not? So I've gone for three Sydney Phillies in this race. Two of them, Ojai and um, uh, number seven, Lady Laguna, have both jumped out really well. Again, a lot of it's wet track form, though, you know. The Caulfield track, as we sit here today, Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning is a four. Mm. A little bit of rain predicted. I'll have a look at the walk, uh, the track on uh, tomorrow afternoon. Um out nine as well, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like out there. Yeah, it certainly will. Who was the third? You've only mentioned two of them. Well, so I've gone for the two most uh, experienced fillies in the race and the least experienced fillies in the race is Lamandra at the bottom one who's jumped out with Lady Laguna and she looks like she's above average as well. So, look, it's a tough race to win first up. But if the Melbourne two-year-olds aren't much chop, if the Melbourne two-year-old form isn't much chop... It just opens the race up, doesn't it? It's just yeah. I think I think it's. I, I actually really like this race. I think there's a st- a stack I, of. Speed. I know that, and the, there is a good filly there. There's a filly that could be, you know, it's not really. Is this a guide to the thousand guineas? Historically, I, I think she could be a thousand guineas filly in waltz on by. Yeah, that's. I figured you were talking about it. She. She was good in her first campaign, but I think she's really elevated herself with her jump outs this time in. She was unlucky in a blue diamond. And, and what I like about her, you've got a stack of them are going to go forward. She might get buried on the fence. That's a worry about she's, her. She's got Jamie Carr in the saddle. Yes. Surf. Worry less. It, it, that's a pretty serious sort of engagement. Sometimes we can overthink these things. What do you reckon? You reckon that means something, that engagement? I do. I, I, well, you're reading a lot into it. I, I just think uh, Jamie's gone – Well, the best horse in the race has either gone seeking Jamie or Jamie's gone seeking the best horse in okay, the race. So but we sort of agree that she might be the uh, the blowout of the locals there. Yeah, I think she is. I'll be interested to see what Ebhar does. I mean, off trials she was 
uh, unbelievably good. But she just if you're watching those trials as a, a punter assessing them, just watch the way she throws the head about throughout. And come race day, if you over race like that, we saw it with with Entha. Entha is down. is a um, you know very similar sort of trialer. They can pull themselves into the ground. King Tommy's another one on, uh, who can do that as well. He, he just recently won his maiden, but he was beaten as a favourite on a couple of occasions. But uh, anyway, I'm digressing a lot. I'm having you something are. on Waltz. I've drifted off. Waltz on by. Well, one of the most interesting runners of the day, Turfy, is this horse in the um, Regal, Regal Roller State. Regal Roller won a James. Uncommon James. Did you know that? He did. Mm. Interesting that he has a race named after him over the 1,200 when he was such a good 1,400-metre horse. Yeah, he was. He was just a great Caulfield horse, great wet tracker. Um, look, he, he's, you know, it's hard to not just, it's hard to sort of really get a, a handle on the depth of the Queensland form. But Especially he w- the form behind Uncommon James. I mean, his well, last yeah. couple, the form behind's moderate. You've got to go back to uh, Matawi. Matawi, who's been gelded and come back form. really yeah. good. Um, but the clock... Doesn't lie, Matt. The figures have been good. The they've figures, been okay. They've been okay. He's got a turn of foot, Matt. Oh, he yeah. does. And did you check uh, out his jump out down the Flemington? Yes, Straight I Wonder? did, and it was very, very nice. It was. Um, and when you look through the horses, we know the Lombardos, sixty-one drawn out there, Cinewan, not flash out of the gates. I think he's. Gee, he trialed well though. He might be the best horse in the race, yep. Cinewan. Um, if it was fourteen hundred, I'd be all over yep. him. Rangers won the Ramorny, but nah, yeah, he was a benchmark horse six months ago. Um, Rangers, open-minded, goes quick, you know, he makes his own luck. High stranger, not hopeless high stranger, best ruffie in the race. I heard nine. you make a case, I couldn't couldn't agree at all. Good, glad you didn't agree with me. Showmanship maps so poorly. He's a very, very smart horse. Only had the one run in our early winter at, uh, in the Wongoon, it was a huge run on the heavy 14 Super there. Felicia, uh, Viral No Hope, such a splendour, struggles at the end of 1,200, Pindaric up in class, and old William Thomas. You know, there's no, what I'm saying no. here is there's no new blood in the race. If he's – these guys are smart trainers. You know, Tony Gollan won the Queensland Trainers Premiership comfortably. These blokes had the best strike rate comfortably, O'Day and Hoisted. So uh, if you're wondering who they are, uh, they have got a very, very good CV behind them. They brought him you, to Melbourne. Do you take six to four, though? No, you don't take it. But they bet $8. They bet $8? I, I'm told that they Rubbish. bet $8. Rubbish. You're calling me a liar. No, I'm not. I'm told. I didn't see it. I'm told they bet $8. But no, would I take six to four? Two fifty? No, I wouldn't. I think Cinewine's the danger. But I think what you do then, if you like the horse, is you take him, because it's the last leg, you take him to win the quaddy. You back him through the quaddy, and if you're not alive, then you back him or you stay out. But it's one way of backing him, trying to get a bit of value through the quaddy. You do run the risk of missing the quaddy. <laughs> but the Quisette's such a wide race. Um, I think there's a uh, there's something some merit in that suggestion, Matthew. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'd want $3 plus. You might get it. Maybe. Yeah, Cinewan interests me most of the yeah, time. He, he does. Uh, he, he does. I think he, you know, he had that aborted campaign after uh, issues when he got beaten in that um, good race here at Caulfield over fourteen hundred. Did he not? His first up run in the Australia Stakes behind Marabi was terrific at yeah. twelve hundred. Yeah, well, and if you go watch his work, another one off the jump outs. He was he was good to the line in his Flemington jump out. Watch the two hundred metres past the post. Mm. Oh, you like looking after the post, do you? Anyway, that's you enough. You can't take your oh, eyes off those jump Well, outs, just actually, well, before we go to Tristan, what's your best of the day? <sighs> best of the day? Really? Yes. Uh, 
If punters are going to listen to you, your learned racing analysis, you see this what's b- the one horse they should go to the, the tr- go to Top Sport and back on the back of your thoughts? Um, in the last, and I, I must admit I'm talking through my kick here, that John McArdle horse, boy, jeez. El Rocco needs to get a run. He needs to get a run, but boy, I mean, he's big odds when he won first up. I mean, it was such an average race, but... He looks like he's come back really, really well. He's on yeah. an upward form spiral. Great to see Johnny with a decent horse again. Uh, good man. And uh, you're right, He's as we speak, he's an emergency. But um, I've got a bit of time for this bloke. I'll tell you what, there's a horse in that run. Glad you mentioned race nine. I could do better. Mm-hmm. He'll run very well on Saturday. He's about $15. You could always do better, Matthew. I know. Named after me. Uh, trained by Matty Raymond. Formerly trained by Chris Waller. Jump outs have been outstanding. Standing. I think he'll run really well. Generally goes well fresh. Would love a little bit of cut in the ground, but uh, he'll run well. My best of the day is wild time by. In the biggest field the, of the day, that, and probably you're the, seven uh, bucks. Probably the open, the most open market of the day. Terrific each you way. Get a bit bet. of ticker. I never picked you for that. Thank Here you. Let's have a chat to Tristan Melahan. A look from the book presented by Top Sport. It's time to welcome in Tristan from our great friends at Top Sport. Tristan, how are you today? Yeah, very good, boys. Very good. I was uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit about the Demons effort. Uh, but eight, uh, eight, 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 eight. Roger, cut that out. <laughs> We're not having any of that sort of crap. And we move on. Footy is gone. Let's talk racing, Tristan. And I suppose if you look hard enough, we're... We're sort of in the spring carnival. We're right on the precipice of the spring mm. carnival. We've got some good horses coming back, Turfy. Tristan, has, has that brought about an extra injection of um, confidence or early betting amongst the punters? Are you seeing a few more stepping in early? Yeah, I reckon this week we've probably started to see the, the transition towards spring. And these early weeks of spring, um, you know, these very, very early weeks of spring, as you say, it's, it's just on the horizon, but we're getting closer. But it's trying to identify the horses that are getting themselves ready for a, a, a real tilt at some of those early races and some of the other horses that will have, you know, eyes on bigger prizes a bit later in the carnival. So it adds a, an extra layer of interest and intrigue surrounding these early races, which, yeah, I, I, I thought last weekend was um, was very busy, both Sydney and Melbourne racing, and um, I'd envisage we're going to get something similar this weekend. Now, we've talked uh, previously, uh, Trist, about um, having a skinner. Did you have one of the missile stakes last week? Uh, we had a good result of the oh, yeah. I know you had a good result. Did anyone back it coming off a midfield run in the Hard morning? Hard Empire is the Hard Empire you're talking the, about. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, Hard Empire. We did lay it, but uh, we not, not massive. Like, we did have a good result, but you'll you'll be very happy about this one, Turf, because uh, I the, the last race of the day was also a candidate of a Skinner. Uh, it was a 50 to 1 shot in the last, and uh, someone's lobbed and had 3,000 on it. So, <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, the old dinner dinner discussion went from uh, banquets and Chinese and succulent Thai to everything, and then we just all end up having the two minute noodles. So, oh no! Uh, we'll just get the violins for you, mate. That's unbelievable. Yeah. How's that? that's a shocking yeah, way to end the Three thousand fifties was it? So it was yeah, un- best Thai SP, but it was, was it? Uh, yeah, it was around fifty something like that. And, so it was only uh, a chop yeah, out for Sickening feel. <laughs> That's a, a shocking way to end the day. Well, given there's a bit of a extra interest seemingly from the punters, is there one that they've latched on to early in betting markets? I imagine one of the it ones that's... your horse, the local horse, the Queensland Uncommon horse. James. He's, he seems to have been absolutely smashed. Turfy mentioning some outlets betting as much as $8. What did you guys bet? What did you bet? What was the best bet? Uh, 
not 100% sure. What, what, what race are we talking about there? We are talking about in the Regal Roller. Race 7 race at Caulfield. Number, well, you must, he's a Queensland horse, Uncommon James. Ah, uh, there we go. Yes, yes, yeah. No, well, we... Uh, we were we, we certainly weren't anywhere near that price. Well, we our top price at the moment is two seventy to two fifty. So I think a few of the other boys might have gone off a little bit, uh, a little bit over. I was going to say. I, I reckon they might have put up. Uh, did they put up all in markets somehow? The regular roller, maybe. Not I reckon this, we've got to yeah. investigate. There's always uh, those Monday markets are always a little bit tricky when you're putting them up. So maybe there was a couple of horses that maybe didn't go to that yeah, race. It may have been the, an uh, all in market. Yep. We might have to get the ABC fact checker onto this claim that you've <laughs> uh, brought forward, Turfy. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it. Might be misleading the audience. But anyway, let's move on from that and on to probably the most popular segment on this show. The oh. only <laughs> bloke who can find a winner, it, it, is well, in this case a loser, Yeah. the lay of the day, Tristan, you have gone to another level yet again. Not only did you lay here to shock, who... Turfy declared a moral. <laughs> I didn't quite. Yeah, all right, go on. But you also said to back lyrical lad who saluted, and was smashed. Yeah, no, that was uh, that, that was a good little result. Our and we did put uh, put it in for a big uh, big amount too. Uh, the shocking horse, and uh, yeah, I, I think Turfy might have uh, when he, uh, he he got to the track. Maybe he wasn't as confident, but it's it's amazing how the differing track conditions can sometimes change your opinion. But no, that was. Um, that was certainly a good result for us on the weekend. And I'm looking at an, another one where I'm a little bit surprised. I'm not surprised where the market's got them because she's all class is a, is a really good horse, but I certainly can't be taking it at $2.90 um, on on Saturday. That's race three, number four, she's all class. I thought it was a very even race. I thought Scorched Earth, uh, it's already been 60 to 480. I think they'll continue to come for that barrier one, and I reckon uh, there might even be a close to changing of uh, favouritism here, but she's all class at 290, I think it's way too short. I can only agree with that. That, seemed, like that. that. that seems very, very short for uh, She's or Class. Scorched Earth, she's just a bit plain in Adelaide the other day, wasn't she? She was. Uh, she got back. I wonder if she'll be more forward with not a huge amount of speed in the race if she jumps cleanly off gate one. She only had one jump out as well, so maybe needed the run fresh. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's a tricky little yeah, race, this uh, one. The Sydney horse. Um, Jamie Carr's on board, won the Typhoon Tracy. Actually beat Scorched Earth there. Could give uh, the name, please. Hellfest. Hellfest. I yeah, thought Hellfest. Yeah. yeah, she was 20. To one. Well, she was huge odds when she won the Typhoon, wasn't she? I thought trialled up beautifully. Mm. And the 64 went up in Sydney prior to that actually rated quite well. And Throntari, who I always thought was going to be Super a bride win. maze at, yeah. its whole life, but she's at one well the other day. Yeah, look, may have been advantage. That was the race that uh, Channel Lightning did the... The, the, uh, the little lap yep. around uh, Caulfield. So it may have been the so beneficiary you, of that. But you are potting, she's all class, and uh, I think he's on the money again. Let's hope so. Let's move on to now the multi. We know, of, of course, our old mate Paul, he's up getting ready to accept his Kennedy tomorrow. I'm not sure what time it, was it is. A small field, wasn't it? Select field. <laughs> select field, sorry. Select field. I, I meant select. I didn't Group mean class field. and... We love our man Paul, so really looking forward to uh, basking in his glory when he takes that out. We thought we were an opportunity to uh, maybe sneak a multi over the line, but alas, he seems to have appeared. He's, he's keen to put forward a selection, so Crikey. let's hear what Paul has to say. You know, I've been thinking a lot this week just about the multi and how we can improve it, and it struck me that maybe it isn't Turf's fault that he can't land a single leg of the multi since his return from the from Europe. It's our fault, Matt. And ever since we encouraged Turf to actually do the form for the show and put a bit of work in, he's landed zero legs. 
So maybe the answer is for him to go back to doing minimal work, putting in the minimal effort, and perhaps then, just then, he may land a single a single leg of the multi. But in the interim, we'll, we will continue to deliver on behalf of the podcast. And my tip this week is Giga Kicks for the win. I'll tell you what, he had, he had all the time in the world to prepare that, gave me a drive-by and then managed to waffle on for about a quarter of an hour. Yeah, well, that's the end of the podcast. That's all. <laughs> that's it. So he's gone giga kick in the uh, What in, we didn't do, we didn't do our usual back-back over last week's multi before we went to Paul. Mm. What the bloody hell happened, Turfy? Well, I can't remember, actually. He had a shock who uh, was... No, de- no, but what happened to the other two legs, first of all? Yeah, they both won. I, and you know yeah, they both the, won. Uh, so the, we, the pirate multi. Yeah. The pirate multi. Yeah, yeah. and, and yes. he had a shock who was very easy in the betting. And, of course, uh, the horse that uh, T. Merlehan was very bullish about uh, got the chocolates. Yeah, okay. Well, we've got Paul's leg there, Giga Kick. Now, I'm going what's on by the place. Okay, well, you're a big Moody fan, I know that. And uh, she's a very promising filly, big field. Good luck to you there. I think she's not a bad selection there. I, I find it difficult to find a best on the program. but I, I'm Well, gonna, there's a shock. I'm going to stick with Uncommon James. A uh, little bit worried about Queensland horse having its first start at Caulfield. Caulfield's a tricky track sometimes for in, in, interstate horses. But he's, he's such a promising horse, and I don't think our horses in this particular race are going anywhere. So... If he, he looks to be extremely promising, I love his turn of foot. Barrier seven, D lane, plenty of pace in the race. He's going to get a lovely run. Uh, if he's as promising as I think he is, he beats him. All right. Oh, There's there uh, That's let's... a good little, uh, little snip shot there. So we've got the uh, race five, number six, Giggy Kick, race six, number 12, Walton by for the place, and race seven, number 11, Uncommon James. That multi works out at $25 and. I'll put up the pirate multi if, if you can get if you get two out of the three up. We'll put that up at four dollars. So hopefully we can get something uh, something for the kitty there. <laughs> something for the kitties something, or something for well, the kitty. Something for the kitty. Yeah. I think he said. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't like the odds of uncommon James, but you know I, I still think he'll win. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. No, I don't mind that multi. Uh, Giga Kick, I think, has got a terrific chance. Yeah, I, I like Giga Kick. He's a very promising horse. All right. Well, Tristan, great to catch up with you. Uh, best of luck for the week. I think we might have to touch on a, a few futures in the next couple of weeks, which is – I know you're not a big finals? futures. Footy well, finals? Uh, no, I don't know if we can talk AFL anymore. <laughs> well, we can talk after week two of the finals once the Demons are out, surely. Hey, that's oh. enough out of you, mate. We might let you go now, Tristan. Uh, have a great week. We'll speak to you next Thursday. See you, guys. Having a bet on the racing this week? Top this. With Top Sport's best of the best multis, top odds are guaranteed. Place a best of the best multi during Saturday Metro meetings for the top flux or dividend from the best three national totes. Plus, there's best of the best to win up to five grand too. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport, feel the excitement. Don't let the game play, you stay in control. Gamble responsibly. Well, Turfy, that's just about enough out of us for another week. But before we go, mm-hmm. the comments of O'Sheen Murphy pricked my ears in the UK this week. Uh, what? What? Uh, what? Well, let's have a listen. John, does he? Let's have a listen to what he had to say. What were you second to the greatest horse since Frankel in that? 
Uh, I was second to Winks, but not the greatest, ho greatest horse since Franklin. Ah, we know what side of the fence you're sitting on. Um, Did you go there genuinely thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really Yeah, I think I would have beaten her. Is well. he still your favourite horse, Ben Battle? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, he was my first Royal Alaska winner in 2017, and he was still around in 2021, so he was amazing for me. Genuinely, he wasn't at his best that day. Uh, it's a long way to travel from Britain to Australia, as we well know. And, uh, and I think if he was at his best, I'd have beaten her. And I wish I could have done, but anyway. What's your problem? Unbelievable. Well, uh, that's a fairly sort of honest... Uh, honest! Uh, ...objective opinion of objective. Ocean Murphy regarding uh, Ben Battle and could he have beaten Winks? No. What's, what's your take? Well, she, she, won by, she won by two and a half yeah, hard held. She did. Uh, you know, I honestly... I mean, she's probably the best horse I've ever seen, right? I, I'm happy to say that. But I think one of racing's great disappointments for me was that she never had a crack overseas. You know, you can you, uh, look superstar. The times don't lie, and all of that. You would have loved and to have seen her in an she, arc. She or... beat them up. She beat up the happy clappers and those sorts of horses year in and year out. Her Cox Plate wins were devastating. No argument whatsoever. But I've loved her to have gone overseas and had a crack at. at yeah, I, I, I love to have gone in that Queen Anne or whatever it's called. I'm not as definitive as you. Group one race. I'm not as definitive as you that she's the best horse we've seen. I, I find it hard to split her Frankel and Black Caviar. Oh, no, uh, I'm talking. Well, we didn't. I'm not talking about Frankel, the unbeaten Frankel. That win, uh, the same race I'm talking about. It was. It's called but, the Queen the, Anne. The thing that he didn't Prince have that uh, Black Caviar and Winks had was you know longevity, long streaks. Well, that's right. He was a stallion. You know. So. Yeah. So you know. There's there's elements of all of them that I think make them almost impossible to split. You know, but would, uh, would Vane and Black Caviar? These arguments uh, are irrelevant. They're but just, they're good fun. Just uh, just uh, enjoy ba the Barbara greatness. And of fodder. Hey, Barbara and fodder. Yeah. What about Damien Lane? He had a little quip at uh, Ocean Murphy. He said, "Hey, Ocean, O C E A N." <laughs> Ocean. This sort this sort of knock on from Oz reminds me of the time you said. The Cox Plate form is no good before the 2019 <laughs> Arima Kinen. Yeah. Which, of course, Liz Grishow won. Yeah, the and then came. But, you know. It's good, it's good banter, though. I like it. I really like it. It's a little bit like, although Ed Langdon had to eat his own words last week, but uh, you need a bit of personality. No, you do. It's all. Do you remember that, you know, that guy, uh, Matt Chapman, who's, uh, you know, we see, he's very sort of. Uh, Entertaining and forthright. He's done some. I love watching. Lacks him. an opinion though, doesn't he? <laughs> love his interview interviewing technique, and he potted well Australian racing. Yeah, and it's just great for all of us. You know, that's, it's, it's great fodder. And um, meanwhile, meanwhile, they've got races that they can't even run because uh, horses won't accept due to the the state of the prize money over there. Yeah, well, that's an issue. But probably uh, worth cleaning up the own backyard first. Well. You're going to open a can of worms here because I think one of the major reasons, this is probably not the right <laughs> the right platform, but one of the major reasons, the fact is that the, there's no tote over there. It, it's all corporate and the deals that the corporates did 40 years ago means they don't put a lot back into racing. Sounds like a topic for another day, Turfy. We better go. You've got golf to play. And Roger, he's got stuff to do this afternoon. He's, he's at possible. us right under the pump. And what are you doing? You're going to have lunch. You meetings? No, I'm going to have lunch. See you next time. That was a good three. Presented by Racing.com and Top Sport.